You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Brave New Radio. We got managers, producers, record labels. Wednesday at 8 p.m. More on Brave New Radio. It's also a podcast, so we're excited about this. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, not along with my cohort, Dr. Esteban Marconi, who is on assignment this week. We are Music Biz at Music Biz in the Music City. So we're at the Music Business Convention in the Townsend Room to Joe Pomerico. It's not the Pete Townsend Room, it's spelled differently than Pete Townsend. It's just Townsend. So we're here. Um, Joe Pomerico, uh, uh, he's at Atlantic Records. He's uh, got tele- Telegraph Hill Records. We're going to talk all about Joe Pomerico. He's a grad of the music business program at William Patterson the University. We're also here with Ali Medico from Full Sail University. Hi. Hey, how are you doing now? Did it very all right? So, what do you do at the Full Sail School? I'm studying music production. What do you want to be when you grow up? Producer, engineer, artist, like all the conglomerate, like a powerhouse woman. You're, she's going to be a powerhouse woman. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. When do you graduate? Next year in April. Uh, summer of 20, no, that's not summer. Spring, Spring. yeah, 20. Mm-hmm. And you said at full sail they have rolling uh, rolling time periods. You don't have semesters. Right, right. It's just month by month, essentially, yeah. So, so a class, like for us at William Patterson, a class would be like a 14-week period from say September 1st through December December. 5th or whatever how does that so you could any month you could start in November 1st and it would end whatever whenever like the 20 months or however long your program would um conglomerate to and then for me like I start my classes in the first and then like the 29th or 30th so it's like four weeks long essentially which just makes it advanced so it jam-packs it all what what classes are have you taken this recent so far um recording principle sequencing technology we just finished like a music theory one that was a little bit more in depth with like some lovely diatonic chords and seventh chords and fun stuff um yeah so a bunch of all that and then now I'm going to go into some more older history like popular genre and culture stuff what did you play when you um played? i used to play french horn mellophone trumpet and then i was learning guitar but i was been back and forth with that so but now i'm just focusing on singing okay ali talks fast that's, that's good so we're gonna we're gonna have a race in a second because i'm gonna tell people to make sure you go to musicbiz101wp.com sign up for a newsletter follow us on the instagram that featured the watch book at musicbiz101wp we mentioned we're on itunes soundcloud and the Spotify. Thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Readers Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. And Aaron Van Dyne is of the Van Dyne Bruno. And you, Aaron Van Dyne, might was your professor at Ramapo College. Is it Ramapo College or Ramapo University in North? Ramapo College. He was your professor, wasn't he? He was. When you were an undergrad. Patterson. And he did he convince you to go to the MBA program at the University of William Patterson? No, we didn't ever connect on that at that point, I don't think. You did that all on your own, on your lonesome? Uh, I was actually working uh, for Al Cohen, uh, and he was my professor at Ramapo also, studying uh, recording industry and, and uh, Pro Tools classes. And he suggested when I was working for him that I go to this program that he was actually in. And then right. I believe he finished it as soon as, as I started. Right. Okay. Yes. And uh, he's an Al Cohen is a an adjunct at William Patterson now, and he was yeah he was one of my students. We should all give thanks. We should give thanks. When I point to you, say oi. Okay, Allie. All right. Give thanks to Christine. They a wealth manager and the president of they wealth management. 
Christine has helped many professionals all around the world manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. Here's where I'm going to talk fast. Ready, Allie? I'm going to do my Allie imitation. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, or if you have questions on anything from investments, portfolio management, or insurance, retirement planning, give Christine a call at, repeat after me, 732 455 1510. Email her, Christine at Van Oy. <laughs> start again. Christine at VeyWealth.com for advisement. And as my good friend Esteban Marconi would say, leave the last oil off for savings. So now, here we are. We are with Joe Pomerico. You and I spoke about having you be here. And uh, well, you're coming. You're here all on your, on your lonesome, as we said, uh, at Music Biz. You just came. You've been here before when you were a student, but you graduated. You got your MBA, and now you're here on your own. Why did you decide to come and be here at the... Music Biz Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. Go on. Sorry, I keep talking. Go. Everyone's here, especially you. But also, yeah. this is the spot to be. There's so many people in the industry all coming just to, to network and learn and talk about the things that are going on right now that everyone's facing in all the different parts of the industry. It's pretty important. Allie, why did you come? Um, I mean, honestly, just to have something like sort of set up before I graduate, which is really, I think, is it's getting more and more competitive in the music industry. Um Primarily, you do have to do that and just get myself ahead of, of everything and just get rolling on the dice more. Meet people, have fun, get a little vacation out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that, the that's... Vacation part of it's also... <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Um, the guy we had before, Josh Terry, he runs a company called Workshop Management, and he's also involved in a festival called the Sad Summer Festival. That's gonna, did I tell you about this? Um, it's going to have uh, 17 cities, 18 dates starting in July. I'm going for, I think it's seven weeks. And um, when he was in college, four years of college, I think he said he had 14 internships. And I tell people you should have like five or six. And this guy had 14. And he didn't do a music business undergrad, but he, um, you know, just, he just, all he did was internships. He used college as, as his launching pad to do internships. And he got by in college, but it was more because I go to college, I can get internships. That's what I'm going to do. Is interesting. So that what you're doing is a smart thing. Coming to this conference, I was talking to somebody else yesterday, and um, he said anybody who doesn't go to this music biz conference, you, find a dollar, find the way to do it, and and get here, which you did, which which you did. You know, you're paying your own way to be here. So it's you got you got to do this kind of stuff because it's all about networking. So much of it has to do with meeting people and who you know. I mean, even just the fact that we went out and decide to educate ourselves in colleges for music you know that's this is just an extension of that really and it doesn't stop the music is always evolving so everyone else here is trying to learn from each other so we should just fit into that you know well your your story is interesting when we talk about the internship side because you work at Atlantic Records now however to get to there you had a number of internships and you were doing some simultaneous internships and jobs and things so tell us um, it's, it's pretty cool what you were doing your last year or two of school so I graduated my undergrad degree um, and was working in an independent label and just, as I mentioned, then decided to go to grad school without really sort of knowing what like I was going after, in a sense. I just knew this program, MBA. I wanted to do business stuff. I wanted to learn more about the business side in the music industry. And within two months, you guys were taking us on uh, tours and, and just putting us in the faces of people right in the industry like this. And I found myself in... Warner Music Group, I discovered this studio, which was a very new thing, and I just made sure, I was like, how do I intern here? I need to be here, and I just, you know, wouldn't stop for a year. I was actually at this convention, and I sent, like, an email to my now boss, like, it was, like, paragraphs. I remember, like, checking it with everyone I was at the breakfast with and being like, what do you think of this? You know, like, mm -hmm. that was in May of then, um, he was telling me that he thought, uh, I was trying to get the internship for the summer, and it didn't start until the fall. And he was like, I, I think it'll be a better timing. And, you know, a week before I started, they put in a brand-new mixing console. And, and I was just like, okay, I'm making myself known. I'm doing whatever I can be to be useful here, you know. Because mm -hmm. before that, I had an inter internship when I was in uh, undergrad, and I was working at a studio, and it was I was like the third intern. You know, it was a very um, small, like, operation. I was sort of just setting up a PA um, for, like, students that they had and doing, like, more of the, like, sweeping the floors, getting the coffee, nothing. Like, there was one session one time I was there, and I was like, can I sit in? And it was sort of like, yeah, it's kind of crowded. It's kind of small, you know, like. 
So when I found that right opportunity, I was not going to give up on this is, you know, where I want to be. And, you know, I'm not sweeping floors here. So, like, I, I definitely <laughs> see growth here, you know. And that's, like, the biggest part, I think, about an internship is trying to make yourself useful to them and prove it when you have that opportunity. And you don't know when that opportunity is going to really come. But the best part of the story, which you, I'm going to push you on, we, we took a class, we went to the Warner Music Group, and it was headed by our friend Paul Sinclair, who works at Atlantic Records. This is in New York City. Yeah. And so we got a tour of the Atlantic Records facility, and they had a, a, studio, a recording studio there, which you said was fairly new. We got in, then we left, but somebody didn't leave. So explain that part. This is the best part of the story, where I, which I think people can learn from. I think the studio was like in the early part of the day, and I don't know... Um, I guess I went up to Paul, it was just sort of like, hey, are they still up there? Like, you know, is this people still in the studio? Can I go like check it out one more time, you know? And and as I go in, there's the two people that are, are working it and I just, you know, really talked to them and just made sure that there was that connection and, and, saw, and what did they need? Like, what is this thing that's here? I just wouldn't let go, you know? And so the, the whole class left, you stayed that day and you went back in and you started talking to them and that's how you ended up really getting the internship. Yeah, so I met uh, Ron Robinson, who's the studio director, and Ebony Smith, who's the main engineer there. And the two of them have been, Ron's been there for like 10 years now, sort of pretty much built this studio program that we have now, and he hired Ebony before they moved over to this new building, and this new building is where they ha finally have a studio facility again that's like full-blown, and he's... um trying to expand this team and I just got really lucky with meeting him and and creating that relationship you know mm -hmm. and if you but if you hadn't done that that day you wouldn't have met him it, it, you would have been like anybody else it's true even but even uh even like people that like our interns now it's just sort of like what you know what do they make themselves uh not worth it, but like n not, they're not letting go. You know what I mean? They're making it happen, and and he's sort of just like helping guide them too if they make that impression. You know, make that right impression. I guess. Okay, so um, you were interning there, and at the same time you were working for Major League Baseball, and you were, you were working for the NHL too. So uh, working part time at MLB Network, and caucus, right? yeah, yeah, and I, I was right actually before I even went. I was doing that still before I started grad school. And I worked nights and weekends throughout all that because, um, you know, games are on the West Coast, start at 10 p.m. So you have to work like 8 p.m. shifts to 4 a.m. And um, as well as I was sort of uh, cutting records just in my parents' basement and Pro Tools on my laptops, wherever I could make a record happen. I was, I was working with a band uh, of friends of mine just trying to really make it happen while you know, balancing this job of the of, of the entertainment industry, and it's fun, you know, watching uh, baseball, but I wanted to do music full-time, you know, all the time. So um, I'm going to work at 8 p.m. in Sea Caucus, and I'm then sleeping in my car now because I have an internship at 10 a.m. in New York, so I'm not trying to drive back down to South Jersey. So I stay in the parking lot, go into the train, take the subway, go to internship for 10 to 6 the next day. Then I get out, get back to my car at my real job, and then drive out to class for 7 to 10. And, and uh, yeah, that was, it was just all, it was like that was one day. It was really two days, though. <laughs> but what you were doing... Um, well, let me, let me, I'm not going to tell you, what, Ali, as a student, what do you think about what he was doing there? You know, sleeping in his car and... I'm not going to lie, I've done that before, too, um, just because it's... In what situation? Well, I mean, just working a lot. It's just like, I, and then even right now in Orlando, and all the jobs I've had in the past, it's just, I'm too tired to drive home, and if I work back-to-back -back shifts, like, I'm just going to, you know what I mean? There's no point to driving home, so I get that. I also think that you willing to take that sacrifice to do that shows a lot about your character, because a lot of kids, I feel like, not as, like... And they have to just be privileged and have to do this and that. And I'm like, well, they don't understand the real grind or hustle. But I mean, sometimes you have to do that. I mean, sometimes you got to eat cold soup from the can. Like, you know what I mean? There's, just, there's some things you got to suck it up and do. So um, that makes sense how you got to where you are because you did things like that. And then, you know, you went back to back to back, which is hard. I mean, you can say it. But when you're in reality of doing that, like, I know how it feels to wake up and stuff. It's like, you, it's, it's hard. But it really shows a lot about your character and who you are and how, how badly you want it and how into them 
at the studio like who you um, like who you are as a person like how much it means to you to really be with music like to have that spot that that one percent that so many people are trying for so so many uh, people that want it but who's gonna actually go out and do some right. crazy thing to make sure they and not just like be crazy and outlandish but like yeah. smart and calculated like this is just what I have to do in order to make this my reality that's excellent I mean I mean that's <laughs> I mean that that's so important that I, I think a lot of people just like you said Allie um, miss that part and I was talking to somebody yesterday and he's got a job now he had an internship and it turned into a job and he said, you know, what are your words of wisdom? And then I'll ask you guys what you think your words of wisdom. My words of wisdom were what I did when I was an intern was I was the sort of cliche, but at work, get in before everybody and leave after everybody leaves. And I actually did that. And that paid off. And I had a job before I graduated. But what would be your words of wisdom for somebody interning now or, or trying to get that internship? I mean, you really have to embrace it fully. The eat, sleep, breathe, music, or whatever that thing is that you you know you're making it your passion or your career. So, yeah, eat, sleep, or don't sleep, but breathe music. Yeah. Have you had internships yet? Um, I've with different um, majors, like different career paths before I ended up with music. Back going back to it, but yeah, I have, and I, I think I haven't done exactly that. I mean, because I would come like right after school or something. But I, there was a lot of other things I would do to make myself stand out, whatever I could. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's standing out. I mean, even if you talk on, on a social media standpoint, there's so much noise out there. How do you stand out? And in the human world of this, getting internships, how do you stand out? And that's actually been a really good thing if I, I would encourage listeners to. We uh, spoke yesterday with Amber Grimes, who used to be at Spotify. And now she's the senior vice president of Global Creative for the Capital Music Group. And we had her on for about a half hour interview. And it was excellent because she talked all about that. How are you going to stand out? Even just, she was a, a stickler uh, for resumes. And she was saying, don't just make the traditional black and white resume with, with the, the two columns or just, you know, at the top, my objective and, you know, my experience and then my education. She goes, do something with that resume. Make it look different than every other resume I'm ever getting. Which I think was very interesting because she's in entertainment and she's in sort of the arts, we'll call it, and she's a creative person versus I know other people who are like, don't you dare do that because if you send it to a Fortune 500 company, they're going to look and they're going to say, this person's wild, I don't want this person. So I, I think it's doing research and figuring out where the right place is when you're going to be. How are you stand out in different situations? It's going to be different from situation to situation. You have to be mindful of everything else that's out there in the landscape and the bigger picture. Like, uh, I mean, uh, I think I was listening to someone talk about um, specific genres and breaking it down. And you start uh, directing your uh, efforts towards one genre and you might see more results. Well, that's because you're hitting them with something that's more catered to what they need and you're not like adding extra fluff that they're not going to be receptive to it. So the same thing comes down to when you're dealing with people on the other end going upward to like people hiring you. You need to show them things that will want them to like, oh, well, you know, they're a little creative too, maybe. You know, maybe they know like the internet and they can do some, just because they're posting crazy pictures doesn't mean they're just like a crazy person. Like they're still just trying to get a reaction or something. Like there's some, there's a reason behind that attitude. So you just have to be mindful of the landscape and cater to it or, or, or whatever. So let's go back to you, and you work in the studio at uh, Atlantic Records. It's not just in the studio, because I know you're doing some things with events, which you can get into. But just before you even got the gig at the studio, you didn't go to school. <clears throat> My voice keeps cracking. I don't know why. <laughs> Joe, I've hit puberty. I'm so excited. Now I can get married. You, where did you learn how to do all the studio stuff? I basically picked up Pro Tools as I was, like, playing guitar and writing songs I was like how do I let me record my song and just you know why doesn't it sound good it's, it can't be my songwriting <laughs> I mean it probably was but you know um so that drive to just make it sound better I kept spending time in Pro Tools and I studied a little like I had two classes at Ramapo on recording and then two on electronic production and and I know a little bit like liberal arts college education of it but I never like went to a trade school to study engineering. I just started doing it and picking it up, and making it records happen, working with artists in in you know 
any kind of capacity. I, I was very fortunate to have a, like a best friend who then went off to Berkeley College of Music and started a band up there of some incredible musicians. So I had like a good uh, thing to tap into of players to not really, I figured out the songwriting part of it, you know, and it was just like, okay, what are the tools to make it sound the best? And um, also I was very um, lucky to work with um, Gene Cornish of the Rascals. He was become a mentor over the last 10 years. Um, I started playing in like a, a Rascals tribute band and, and just got wrapped up into this whole whole world of them. And um, at a period of time in 2014-15, uh, he started working on a solo record of his own music just in a studio in North Jersey. And I was like always coming in just to sit in and, and do whatever, you know, what was happening. I needed to see this studio that he's working at, you know, and how can I be useful? And it wasn't an official internship by any means. It was just sort of like in the space, making myself useful, watching engineers that had that job. Like, why, why, why is he getting annoyed that, you know, it's five o'clock and like we're in the thick of, of recording and the engineer wants to go home. And, you know, it's like that kind of attitude I just sort of started to get instilled to me. Like, I'm not checking my phone in the middle of the session. Like, I don't, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, I, I understand what the expectation from an artist is in the studio and how to get that on a technical level too, just from the engineering standpoint. So it's like, all of all those things just added up. And then when I was in the studio at Atlantic, you know, I, I knew how to carry myself around some of these artists to the point where like my boss turned the corner and, and saw through the window me hanging with Wiz Khalifa and he's just like this this is might be the right guy to, to hire you know so why does Atlantic have a studio in-house um, the studio provides the company for multiple reasons it's used for promo and it's used for artists cutting their records and it's just used for meetings you know it's used for playbacks it's used for sort of anything that they really want to use it for or what they would use a studio for but because it's in-house they're able to offset a lot of the costs and just make sure the work's getting done too because I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of uh, engineers and like offset out like in other projects where like a either the artist doesn't even show up on time or like b like things they're just hanging out and they're having fun and it's like oh but if you're in the middle of the office like oh the A&R the exec's gonna just check in at any moment you might feel a little bit more inclined to keep moving forward as as the artist or they're even just hanging out in the sessions and uh, and sitting in giving their advice you know it's, and it's hard to get them to come to like a studio, even just like a couple blocks in the city away from the office, it would be hard. But you know, most most things happen wherever they're gonna happen. So a lot of artists don't really cut their albums in the studio, but there be like uh, pieces or, or different things that are added to it, you know, in different spaces. So they use it for just sort of anything, really. And this is, I guess, all Warner label people could use it if they wanted. It's really owned by sort of. A quote unquote owned by Atlantic Records, though. Correct. So Atlantic's in the Warner Music family, and they're all housed in, well, at least everything in the New York operation is just in one building. And it helps when you have like someone that you need to go to from a different department, you're just walking down the hall. You're not like mm -hmm. calling a different time zone, you know? That's, that's sort of like slows things down. And, and with the pace of everything, you know, it just needs to be quick. So, um, yeah, it just really helps having it right right there and, and, and uh, being able to, like, you know, especially for us, like, building a relationship with someone in radio. Like, now he knows he needs something edited, and he can just get it to me because I just passed him real quick. And he's like, hey, can you do this real quick for me? And I'm like, yeah, it's no, that'll take me 10 minutes. Like, whereas he didn't really think he, if he had to outsource it, it might take, like, an hour, two hours, and it's just sort of, like, more work. And so everything sort of being in one uh, building sort of helps everything go forward. And there's a lot of interaction between all the different labels because people are working on different projects and different, you know, th things are jointly owned by different labels. And there's a lot of deals. And it's kind of, um, you're not really th thinking about all those workings. You're just, you know, these are the people that work in my building and whatever projects they need me to get done in a lot of ways get done. So... A&Rs know we have a studio and, and try to like bring people to the office and then they bring people to the studio to show them and then build that relationship with us as engineers and sort of like, you know, you can come and cut your record here. So now the A&Rs knows he's going to be saving some money 
and um, on the back end because he can bill it back to whatever artist's account and, and things. And, um, and, and if, if it's all in the same family, so Warner Music Group has a bunch of different labels, it gets all broken up to that end. And they don't really, um, I'm sure there's a lot of projects that are jointly owned, but it's mostly all the artists that come through are Atlantic artists that get approved or Warner Music owned artists, you know. No, like, universal artists are coming to cut anything. But there's probably things that haven't yet happened yet, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's tough being in the studio because you're kind of at the point of creation. And a lot of times people start figuring it out after the fact, you know what I mean? Now, um, can you tell us about some of the projects that you've worked on so people can get a good sense of what they're doing in there and what you've done? So most recently, it just came out last uh, Friday, was Rob Thomas's new single, uh, new solo record. Um, and they started it in our studio with Rob and Butch Walker, the producer, coming together and just laying down like what songs would be the album. And we were there to help uh, track like guitar demo and, and vocals. And they might have used some of that stuff, but Butch then took it back home sort of produced all these songs the way that the, a producer would just add all the production. And, and um, then he came back with Rob and cut all like vocals in our studio. And um, they were even like, we need the gang vocals. So they needed some extra voices. So we, we were lucky enough to get on there as a studio and uh, like the three engineers. And, um, we were in the room uh, all singing together on one microphone. And um, we, I think we did a couple takes, just sort of layered it up so it was a, a fuller sound. It just made, uh, made it sound not like Rob Thomas and Butch Walker singing a hundred times. Mm -hmm. You know, it had, uh, we have a female engineer, we have another guy, uh, Zach, who's like, you could hear, he's younger, he, you could hear his excitement on the, on the dying young line, you know, and it's just like that energy made its way onto the track and that's sort of what gang vocals do is it's the energy of excitement of extra people sometimes it depends on what you're going for of course but um they they had added gang vocals on i think uh just a couple songs on the album just to and that was the first single that was came, came out it was a very exciting song and, and i think that like added to it. it was the gang uh voices you know explain what gang vocals means we were in the room uh all singing together on one microphone and um we, I think we did a couple takes, just sort of layered it up so it was a, a fuller sound. It just made, uh, made it sound not like Rob Thomas and Butch Walker singing a hundred times. Mm -hmm. You know, it had, uh, we have a female engineer, we have another guy, uh, Zach, who's like, you could hear, he's younger, he, you could hear his excitement on the, on the dying young line, you know, and it's just like that energy made its way onto the track and that's sort of what gang vocals do is it's the energy of excitement of extra people sometimes it depends on what you're going for of course but um they they had added gang vocals on i think uh just a couple songs on the album just to and that was the first single that was came, came out it was a very exciting song and, and i think that like added to it. it was the gang uh voices you know and you were all, you also worked on the pretty woman soundtrack from the uh, Broadway show written by Brian Adams and Jim Valance. So with our location, we're right on Broadway, so they're able to have uh, singers just pop in right before a matinee. And, and with Broadway, it's very um, structured in time. And, like, you know, 2 p.m. is the end time. And if it's 2.05, 2.05 is the end time. You don't get one more take. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we've worked on uh, the Mean Girls soundtrack. We did Pretty Woman. Um, We've got a couple more coming down the road. Um, and obviously, they before I got there, they did Hamilton. And uh, as I was interning, we did Dear Evan Hansen. So it was just a lot of Broadway things. And um, it's really interesting to be involved in watching like uh, these. Because they have their producers and arrangers and, and the people that just sort of come into this space. And we're just there to make sure that they can make it go the way they need it to go. And they rely on us to sort of like, anything goes wrong, they just look at you, you know, like fix it, you know? So um, you gotta just be alert, especially with the Broadway, because it's so rigid in time, like everything has to be quick. So they don't want, you know, to have to then call, like, you know, to get somebody, you know, you just gotta be on top of it. Um, and it's some of the best, like, you know, they have a main engineer who sort of goes with a lot of the projects, his name is Derek Lee. 
and like he's he goes to like Universal theme park and like mixes the sound for like the Harry all like the rides and things like he you know there's just so much uh, experience that he does on the engineering standpoint that he's like the best of the best so they get him for that project and I get to watch him and then all of a sudden uh, we have another session um, for uh, this one show that um, F uh, Vernon Fossey Fossey Vernon that Alex Lacamoire is, um, he's actually doing all the music for it. So he did the music for Hamilton. And is that on Netflix? Or? I think it's uh, FX. Okay. Um, so just a couple weeks ago, we were recording p him playing piano to the actual like scenes where they're like playing piano. That he he played the piano when they filmed it, but they're now re-recording it because I believe it was like a electronic piano or whatever it was. They're now adding like real pianos and him like doing extra on top things, you know, like really emphasizing what's happening visually. And um, so it's just me and him sitting there comping a piano track. And, and I feel only that I can do that because I've watched Derek do that time and time again and how he's, he's interacted with it. So yeah, the Broadway stuff is a whole nother animal. <laughs> is that on Netflix? It's uh, FX. Um, so just a couple weeks ago, we were recording p him playing piano to the actual like scenes where they're like playing piano. That he he played the piano when they filmed it, but they're now re-recording it because I believe it was like a electronic piano or whatever it was. They're now adding like real pianos and him like doing extra on top things, you know, like really emphasizing what's happening visually. And um, so it's just me and him sitting there comping a piano track. And, and I feel only that I can do that because I've watched Derek do that time and time again and how he's, he's interacted with it. So yeah, the Broadway stuff is a whole nother animal. <laughs> and, and Atlantic has been very hot with Broadway. I mean, you mentioned Dear Evan Hansen and Hamilton started it all off and uh, Mean Girls, and uh, the Brian Adams one, the uh, Pretty Woman. Are, are there any others that I'm missing? I mean, they've been doing extremely well with there's that. A, there's a, a, a few, I, keep, I hear of ones that we're going to be doing and things like that, you know, so it's, and then also just the excitement of, of Broadway in, in the city. It's like, you know, there's a lot of things happening. Broadway is huge right now. And Hamilton had to have been a huge factor in, in, in the resurgence of it, you know? Because and I don't know why like there's just so many soundtracks now too you know, and even for movies I think it's it's become a big, big thing of of the soundtrack. Yeah, it swings you know there there are cycles. It's like uh like heavy metal comes and goes or pop you know boy bands kind of thing. It's here people get sick of it goes away comes back. So maybe this is like a sewer, sort of new world for Broadway or a golden age a new golden age. The. Uh the Pretty Woman one was, was very fun to, to watch, actually. Just going back to the way that it operates. With Brian Adams, you have a, a rock star just sort of like in the room with all these Broadway singers. He's a producer. He's trying to get these singers to do things that, you know, for the past week and a half, they've been doing it in exact same way on stage. And now he's like, well, maybe do this inflection and, and just sing it like this and deliver it like that. And it was like very, the, the resistance on both ends to like the two worlds. It was interesting to see. You wouldn't have expected. And I, I think it came out, it came out in the music. It's, it's a pretty, pretty good stuff. I haven't heard, I was a fan of the movie and I'm a fan of Brian Adams, but I never heard any of the music from the show besides what he put on Instagram. Is it good? Yeah, I mean, I've only heard it in the studio. And, and I also am a bad person to ask like, like, of that because all I listen to really is what I'm working on. It's 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 like a trap, you know. Um, get so lost in uh, the music of what's around me at work, and then also it's everything that I'm trying to produce with with bands that I'm working with. So it, you get you get lost and try to be mindful of like the extra stuff. And uh, I don't know, there's so much music out there. How can you even try? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Do you have any more questions about the studio stuff? Um, yes, I mean, it's more specifically based, tailored towards like the whole producing, engineering side of it. But so it's the thing of Full Sail because there's, you know, so many DAWs out there and I feel like they just keep on multiplying by the minute. So Did it's like DAWs, digital audio workstation. Uh, so Logic and, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, do you actually use Logic to build the songs and like Pro Tools to mix and master? Or are there like, you just use a bunch of programs or like whatever the artist wants to use? Like, how do you, what do you navigate? What do you do? So Would you say DIWs? DIWs. What's that? Digital audio workstation. So Logic and, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, do you actually use Logic to build the songs and, like, Pro Tools to mix and master? Or are there, like, you just use a bunch of programs or, like, whatever the artist wants to use? Like, how do you, what do you navigate? Primarily a Pro Tools user. That's really like my bread and butter. I've dabbled a little bit in Logic and somewhat in Ableton. I, I know those programs enough to really like manage the files and stuff, but I don't, um, I'm not like an electronic producer, like in delve into MIDI really. Right. So those programs are sort of like always on the back burner for me. Mm-hmm. I always track in Pro Tools. Um, but I definitely see a lot of producers, they just come in with Ableton, you know, mostly Ableton, um, sometimes Fruity Loops. You know, but um, and then some people are want to do like track sessions in Logic and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's really Pro Tools is the industry standard for everything. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, there's also the way it looks too. It just looks very uh, professional based. You know what I mean? Yeah, compared to the Logic, is a little bit more easier, user friendly. I feel like yeah. For for the layman. Um, who might be listening and might go, I hear Pro Tools all the time, Pro Tools, Tools. What is Pro Tools? What, it, what, what, can, what would be an explanation to your grandmother if she says, what is this Pro Tools, Joseph? What would you say? Um, it's a software that enables your computer to talk to an um, audio interface that is going to translate the audio that's happening in front of a microphone, go through all the cabling and into this interface that will convert it from analog to digital, and then Pro Tools will pull it into a timeline so you can see it and control it and edit it, do, really just do whatever you want to it now. You know, slow it down, reverse it. Right, and that's where you're seeing on the screen the EKG, you know, somebody's heart, you know, going up and down and, and all that kind of stuff, and that's where you can cut and paste and do all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, a lot of cut and pasting, which used to be actual tape. Mm-hmm. So, like, right. the things you're able to do now are just, you know, my biggest thing with tracking is I do vocals and I'll do playlists. So you just, um, recording. So when I'm, when I'm recording someone, I will have their vocal on like one track and I'll just sort of like, okay, let's do this section and just sort of like work on that section. And, and Pro Tools has this thing called playlisting and you're able to just sort of drop it down on that track. And it's kind of all the extra playlists are hidden on that track and you're able to just like go right through. So I have like, I'll do seven or eight takes of a vocal of just the first verse. And then after we've gone through each thing and gone through the whole song, I'll like sit there with the vocalist, sometimes without the vocalist because they might get too, they don't, some people don't like this process, but just comping a vocal, just blazing through. I go from each playlist, you play each take and I'm able to sort of pull any words from each thing, and you just edit each little uh, section between words, and, and you finesse it to make it sound as perfect as it can potentially be. If you didn't spend the time, like, really uh, catering the artist and trying to get it out of them, maybe. Or maybe you did, and, and you also were just like, okay, well, we had that in that take, you know, or we had that in that take, so we'll just splice it together. And these are things that you could not do very easily with tape. You know, it was just like the amount of times I hit edit undo, you know? Oh no, that didn't work. Let me go back. Like, no, that was too far, you know? And it's just like limitless the potential with Pro Tools and and all these digital programs. Vocalists don't like that is because they don't want to just sit and hear. This is tedious for them. You'll either play all the bad takes and the parts that are flat and they'll just cringe and be like, oh, that sucks. Or they'll either be like, what are you doing? Or they don't understand, like, like where you're, it's still a work in progress, you know? Like, I'm just playing it back to hear this little thing. And you're like, yeah, but that next word is off. And, it, and it's just like, sometimes you just blaze through it. And the quicker you go, you'll just, you'll just hear um, things. And, it, and it, you won't, if, it, you, know, you know when you hear something and if it sounds off, it's got to be quick. You're not gonna, if you start thinking it, you're overanalyzing it too. So mm-hmm. the artists are always overanalyzing them. As a studio person, do you ever let them do one take and you're, everybody's like, that's it. We don't have to do another. Or are you like, now nah, let's do it one, two, three, four more times. With the stuff I'm doing on the side with other artists, I'm, it's more like a trial and error. It's more free. It's sort of like they're figuring out what they want to do. Right and how they want to. In the studio at that time. Yeah, you know, it's it's a creative time. It's sort of like a freeing time. But then some artists too also just know exactly what they want and have practiced it and are, are getting it done. So like, 
if the performance is nailed in one take, you know, you can't fight that. I, but um, with uh, with with one band, I've, I've done 32 takes of, of the of just just the full band tracking, and it was just to get the drums, you know, just to get the drum down. And it's because maybe the drummer's also getting better with every take, and maybe it was good, you know. But but maybe it's like let's just do one more and see if he can get even better, you know. And um, but then also like with a lot of the the promo stuff that we do in in like for for uh, for Atlantic like video things, it's just like the full take, you know what I mean? And you just go with that one take because it's sort of a live feel maybe, or you know, everything's different. Okay. Do you have any more questions about the production stuff? Not so much production. I mean, it revolves around like engineering, but not so much of the technical side. Yeah. Um, okay. So, being a female going into the industry, you know, and also Mr. Donio mentioned this morning, it's still male dominated for the most part. And I want to go to the top with it being producer wise, also as well. So, what advice do you have for people like me who are going into this? Like, how do we navigate the waters safely, but like boldly and fiercely to not get overstepped and like get what we want and not be overlooked because we're we're the minority in the whole picture um i've never really had to face a lot of those kinds of issues and it's tough for me to say because i don't appreciate those all that negative energy around those mm -hmm. things those people that treat people and stomp on the little guy like the little female like all that stuff i don't appreciate and i just treat everybody equally um, and I hope that everyone can learn to do that in the industry. And if you put that out there, if you're treating people that way, then it should come back to you. And if the people aren't um, receiving it and they're still stomping on you, then those aren't the right people to you know, be around. You gotta sort of cut those people, get away from them. Um, that's, I, I, I also um, do wanna take the moment to highlight this uh, nonprofit organization that's run by my uh, co-worker Ebony Smith. It's called Gender Amplified and uh, their mission is all about raising awareness of female music producers and empowerment and um, there's a lot of movements like that that are sort of happening right now and, and uh, maybe it's it's sort of um, looking to get involved with something like that if it's if something you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That's very cool. I've never heard of that one. Gender Amplified, yeah. It's um, There's a lot of uh, female music producers and, and also engineers, and it's all geared towards the specific production mm -hmm. route of it, you know? Definitely sounds like something you'd be interested in. <laughs> Super cool, yeah, thank you. Um, and then, do you want to ask another question? Keep going. Okay. I've been dominating, so you go. All righty. So, looking at your LinkedIn resume, you were doing a lot as an intern. You weren't just doing the whole typical going to Starbucks, getting coffee type deal. So, how, and then I know you mentioned also Atlantic, Atlantic, the office, what it's used for, and how they have um, sponsorship deals. Is it through those deals, or like how did you exactly get to doing like all of more of the, the editing and they like let you do it as well, too, instead of just being like in the back corner type person, you know, come in early, leave late? Like, how did you do all that as an intern? Because that's, that's amazing. And then, you know, taking all that and putting it to the next level of it. So when you're an intern, it starts out more like, can you edit this, you know? And you don't really think what a, you know, you're just, you know, I'll edit it, chop, chop, whatever. But then you start, like, picturing it all and thinking about the bigger picture. Like, this is actually being used for promoting the single across all these radio stations across the globe because it's a custom call-out to all these DJs by that artist. So they're going to play the single, you know? And um, when you start putting it, being mindful of that bigger picture, then they'll start trusting you with more things and they'll start knowing that you, you know, maybe they'll see, they'll, they'll do a better job of this because they understand what it's for and not just like, oh, I don't, I, a simple editing job isn't very, you know, attractive, but like we do a Spotify playlists. So um, Topsify is a Warner owned uh, brand that they make playlists all the time. And um, I didn't really uh, think that, you know, I would want to edit a song, a 30 second clip, but you know, I get into it, you know, you start trying and showing the people around you and then they just entrust you with more stuff. So, um, asking the right questions about how to get something done, you know, um, but it's also, yeah, just, just showing that, that you're thinking of, of more than just what this little task is, you know? Mm -hmm. Right, right. That makes sense. I think I've heard that before, but I wanted to see what your take was on it. Um, and then I guess, 
going more off of that. Do you have anything to add to that? Going off of what he said, then you can find an expression you Mm -hmm. mentioned, Topsify, which is a uh, Warner-owned playlists on Spotify, and Spotify has their own. Going off of what he said, then you can find your next question. You mentioned Topsify, which is a uh, Warner-owned playlists on Spotify, and Spotify has their own. Then lots of people, individuals have their own, and then Warner has some. I think Sony has a company. I forget. uh, Sony has Filter. Maybe. Um, but what do you do for Topsify? So once a month, uh, a bunch of people in the Warner, uh, I think they're in a couple different departments maybe, but they all come up to the studio for like 15, 20 minutes, and they read the uh, the liners of these uh, like hip-hop nation, hear tracks from, and you, and then they re- like list off the artists. And they're also all like talking about what tracks to highlight. So it's a playlist with... It must have 50 to 100 songs, maybe, maybe less. They only named three songs, so that's like a, a key spot. So they plan it, like, and it's like a marketing tool, right? So they come in and they cut these. They just run through it. Three or four different people will get on the mic and just go it. And um, and that's just like one long, like, 20-minute audio file. So then uh, we'll, we'll take that and we'll chop it up. And um, then they'll send us each song, those three specific songs. And um, it's just a 30-second um, ad. So it starts off with uh, like 10, five seconds of them saying the name of the playlist with that first song going and introduce that first artist. And then they go and you sort of edit it to have like space for that next song to come up. And I'm sure you've heard of, heard the ads. And um, The ads, though. Which- that's why I was thinking. It's only for the freemium Spotify. That's where you hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's really just geared towards people that aren't paying for streaming already. So, so it's a. I don't know if they're if they're making if it's a sponsorship if it's advertising that they're making money off of or if they get it from just the general playlist. I think they just get it from the. Pl- they're trying to drive people to the song, you know. So it's just sort of a marketing tool for that sound recording. And they highlight three every month. So they're constantly recording these, updating them. And sometimes it's like, you know, it's the chart. So it's the same song maybe this month, these two, and then the third one's different, whatever. So, um, But it helps also, it's cool to be in the thick of that because you're now like, okay, these are the top three songs from this building that they care about for this genre. So I know like what's happening in hip hop, in indie rock, in alt nation, like all those different, sometimes they do soundtracks and, just different chart playlists so it's cool to see and I you know to go back to that it's like you could tell me the simple like how I have to make it happen but what purpose does it serve in the greater picture of the music industry being mindful of that understanding that the person I'm going to send it to like what they need to get it done what is it all that is entailing for them to send me all those songs maybe that song um, it's going to be the featured single next month but that song's not released yet, so I can't have that copy until like two days before it's released, and then finally I can make the ad, you know? So understanding all the nuances of the industry and stuff. Let me bring that up real quick before you go, if you had another one, um, about leaking, which isn't as big a deal now as it was maybe five years ago, because um, now people are putting music out more often. But I remember it was a few years ago, Madonna had something, and somebody leaked it, to the internet, and it's usually traced back to somebody in the studio. So, or for example, Beyonce will put out a surprise record. So everybody is signing, I'm assuming, um, non-disclosure agreements, and you're getting handcuffed, you know, when you're in the studio. You know, so what what are the things that they do from a sort of music security aspect so that you aren't one of those people leaking songs to the world that they don't want out now? So I have the keys to the studio. And there's only a few people that have these keys, and there's hard drives in there. And at this point, I, we have the trust from our higher ups that you know that's kind of why we have this job. They 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 know that that's a possibility. So clearly, along the way, I must have proved to him that you know I'm a trustworthy guy, and and he's you know now I'm in the room. If something's that that like tight, they you know I may or may not have had a session where I had to sign an NDA. So like you know. That is interesting. Um, okay. And I guess I'm, for like one of my more final questions is like, so what is the kind of advice you give to somebody like me who's a student and, um, you know, setting these things 
more than just doing doing an internship like what's the out of box advice you would give me that um is like really good raw industry knowledge like type deal like tips and tricks you're your own brand you know and so you have to find what your brand is and, and not like your, your company or like a, an image or something like just what's your 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 vibe your ethic your what are you doing in this industry and 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 find ways to get people to see that and make it attractive to them to like oh, i want to work with that person you know they work hard let me work with them you know that's kind of um probably like to stand out that's like the best advice is just be the best right but like it's not that easy <laughs> obviously you just got to keep trying and, and you know, figure it out along the way. Thank you. But there's more. So that's not a thank you, goodbye. That's a thank you. Let's go turn the page. This is the and more. Music Biz 101 and more. So we, we have about uh, nine minutes left. So let's talk about Telegraph Hill Records. Because you have an indie label. But talk about what your strategy is and where the music's coming from. Let's talk about that scene down there um give us the 411 yeah so i'm from the jersey shore and i left it to go work full-time in the city but i you know there's so many uh musicians and, and places to play and it's just you know that's that's a really hot bed area right now for music and um i sometimes get to play down there and whatever but i'm always trying to go down there to go see shows and see these bands and as i'm working with them like as i'm getting to know them i want to you know, bring them into the studio and work with them somehow. So I'm trying to find ways to make it make sense. And that's why I decided to really take the recording thing and, and make it into a record label and not just, you know, being thoughtful of the promotion of the records, not just simply cutting out tracks, you know. So these uh, artists are just always performing. There's like venues during the weekday. It's kind of like a Nashville type type scene. Um, and they're all supporting each other. They're either playing in each other's bands or they're just going out to see each other's shows. And it's nothing, you don't see that in the city even. You know, when you go to a show, it's not um, bands in, in the crowd a lot of times, it's just fans. So when you're in Asbury Park and you're at a show and it, that band's amazing, there's other five people, you're all like freaking out over that band too. And, and it was just a very big musical community. Um, and... Uh, I'm trying to help funnel it more towards the, the wider um, music and not just having these people keep thinking about, okay, let me play a release show to get my music out there. That's not going to go anywhere, really, because you played a show in Asbury Park and just posted it online. Like, you got to really promote the release of it, too, and, it, and be mindful of the online presence, too. And it's, it's like the live thing has to happen, but there's another component and a lot of the bands some of them are, are understanding of that too you know um but it's really just a, a hotbed of, of of a scene right now and including um they just had their first major music festival i would say that's uh, branded by the company c3 that does a lot of the like um, i think they do bonnaroo or Live Nation. Live, okay so they put a festival on the beach there was two stages and then there's one stage kind of right off the beach right in asbury park like see here, see here now yeah like like the sea and then like here like listen now and um last year actually of course wouldn't wouldn't bruce springsteen show up and just you know play he, he played uh the encore with social distortion but um they had Incubus and Jack Johnson as the headliners last year, and those are some pretty big names. And and it also Jack Johnson's like a big surfer, so like the vibe of of the town is is a beach town, and and um, it's right on the beach. The so people are surfing during the festival even too. This year they've even got more surfers, like like professional surfers, to come out and stuff. And um, the awesome part was. Jack Johnson was there all weekend, so he was surfing the first day, and he was playing the last night to close it out. So all weekend long, he's popping around to the different venues and seeing what the area's like. And he ended up sitting in and jamming at a couple gigs that people were just having, you know. Um, and these are things you don't, you don't like. Where Firefly is in the middle of Delaware, like that doesn't happen that weekend. Bonnaroo, Nashville's always here, you know. Um, Coachella, does anyone go there outside of these last two weekends? <laughs> Yeah, they're owned by Live Nation. They put a festival on the 
beach. There was two stages, and then there's one stage kind of right off the beach, right in Asbury Park. Like, see here, see here now. Yeah, like like the sea, and then like here, like listen now. And um, last year, actually, of course, wouldn't wouldn't Bruce Springsteen show up and just you know play? He he played uh, the encore with Social Distortion, but um, they had Incubus and Jack Johnson as the headliners last year, and those are some pretty big names. And and it also Jack Johnson's like a big surfer, so like the vibe of of the town is is a beach town, and and. Um, it's right on the beach. The people are surfing during the festival, even too. This year, they've even got more surfers, like like professional surfers, to come out and stuff. And um, the awesome part was, Jack Johnson was there all weekend, so he was surfing the first day, and he was playing the last night to close it out. So all weekend long, he's popping around to the different venues and seeing what the area's like. And he ended up sitting in and jamming at a couple of gigs that people were just having, you know. Um, and these are things you don't you don't like where Firefly is in the middle of Delaware, like that doesn't happen that weekend. Bonnaroo, Nashville's always here, you know. Um, Coachella, does anyone go there outside of these last two weekends? <laughs> you know? And see here's a little later, it's in September. It's in September, it's at the end of the festival season. Mm -hmm. Um and it's I think that's really good uh, surf weather, so beach weather. But if it's, still, it's not yeah, it's still summertime. Yeah. It's, in the, in the it's not too hot, you know. Um and uh, yeah, actually, this year, this one band that I started working with, Low Light, they're playing. They played a after party last year for the festival, and this year they're playing actually the one of the first slots of uh, the daytime. So it's really exciting, and, and we're going to be putting out a full album right before that, and you know, just trying to really make this Asbury Park things kind of all connected, you know, to the local scene too, because. It's great to have Jack Johnson and Incubus, and this year they have Dave Matthews and the Lumineers, and, and I think it actually sold out, too. So it's clearly getting bigger, but we don't want it to uh, lose the local element, too. You know what I mean? Like, it's really still rooted in this, uh, in this community. And um, one of the bigger, uh, one of the main curators of the festival, uh, Danny Clinch, he's a photographer, he's photographed for Bruce, Tupac, and just so many artists. And... Um, He's been really, really um, careful and, and mindful and, and all that about the community and, and uh, just making sure that the festival's been done right. He's, I think he's a, a big promoter in it. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. so, so getting back to Telegraph Hill and how it works with the uh, couple minutes left. So it's a label that you own and uh, you end up producing all of these songs that are coming out through the label. Sometimes it's a full album, sometimes it's singles. Like I know there's an artist, Bobby Mahoney. You put out a single for Bobby. Um, Low Light, you have an album coming out. Then you have um, Le Levi Oak. Levy and the Oaks. Levy and the Oaks, okay. A lot of bands doing different um, ways to, to get their production done, right? So like Low Light, they're insular. They, they have an engineer in their band, but um, they needed that team right behind them so we're helping them with the promotion and whatever what we did track was pianos and, and and extra things that like were in you know what i could add not just that they had and then also expert advice on mastering and 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 mixing and just sort of letting them know they're not insane and stuff but then a band like levin the oaks they, they want to cut covers and just come into the studio and and work on originals too and and stuff but you know Bobby Mahoney like he's still songwriting and figuring out what his next song is a lot of artists they're just in different phases of their songwriting and figuring out that so for us we're really just focused on you know what we sort of record you know it's not anything more than uh a, like signing an artist to a deal of you know in your next five albums and now we've and just sort of like taking it slow. We're just trying to be a launching pad, just trying to really like make it clean and neat for when people now notice, wow, that, that looks amazing. Like, and then they get a bigger deal, you know, and then like a, a major label picks them up and then they're, they're, that's what they want, right? Is that their career? Mm -hmm. They go off and uh, tour, I don't know. Maybe they don't want to have a major label. Maybe a booking agency comes in and maybe it's Live Nation and they just sponsor their tours, you know? But it has to look clean to the, the next person that like just discovers it. So we're just trying to help with that kind of process. And, and when, when the artists are just focused on so much, you know. Well, we should wrap it up. And we did what we wanted to do. We talked about the production stuff. We talked about the internships. We talked about Telegraph Hill Records. So we appreciate all the things that you talked about. And we appreciate 
the type of person that you are. I appreciate you. Joe Pomerico. Thank you so much. Right now, all the three of us are hugging. It's true. And Allie's hugging us, too. So uh, thank you very much for listening to Music Biz 101 and more. With Ali Medico, say bye-bye, Ali Medico. Bye. Joe Pomerico, say bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I'm not going to say bye-bye because that's not what we, say, what we say at the end of every show. You know what we say at the end of every show? You were on one of these. We don't say hello. We say adios! Soy. <laughs> 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 <laughs>